I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hej! Hey. Oj, hey. du, du säger alltid hej. Ja. Jag säger hej och välkomna till Vinpratarna. Eh, ett nytt avsnitt. Härligt, ett vinmakaravsnitt. Precis. Eh, och vi sitter idag på Wine Chase. På Södermalm. På Södermalm. Väldigt eh, mysigt. Ja. Det är liksom det är gråa januari. Vi sitter och tittar januari, på det gråa januari. Liksom. Men det är härligt, ändå härligt, härligt ljus. Och här sitter vi och ska precis till att prata med Anna Martens. Precis. Från Vin och Diana. Och det är lite kul för att vi binder ihop säcken lite. För vi har ju precis pratat om Cecilia och lite olika liksom regioner och vinstilar och sådär. Mm. Så nu får vi lite mer djupgående från Anna då som håller till på Etna. Ja, exakt. Och det spännande med det är ju att, vilket hon också pratar om lite senare, att det är så många små, små producenter som ju har poppat upp mm. runt på Cecilien och just Etna. Och i hennes fall handlar det om 6 hektar och 40 000 flaskor om året. Men att det finns ett intresse och det finns en marknad och, det, och framförallt är det förbannat bra viner. Mm. Superspännande person. Och mysig. Mm, mysig och, och eh, vältalig. Precis. Ja, hon är ju från Australien så att engelskan, ja, engelskan är, är perfekt. Ja, exakt. Det är skönt. Ja, så njut av detta. Anna Martins från Vino Diana. Okay, so here we are now uh, with Anna Martens. Is that the, the right? Yeah, yes. is that right? Okay, Welcome. from Vino Diana. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Vinbrotana and uh, to Sweden. Yeah, we um, f- for starters, could you just tell us a little bit about your background? Because now you're working in Sicily, but you're you're from Australia. Uh, yes, right yes, now. yes. So, what, what's been your path? How, 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 what brought you? Okay, well, I'll tell you the brief story rather yeah. than the long story. So, mm-hmm. yes, I'm Australian from Adelaide and uh, I've been living uh, on Etna now for 10 years, uh, making wine, um, originally for someone else. And uh, for, I created Vino Diana with my husband, Eric uh, Nario, who's French, um, in 2010. And uh, before that, I used to work in Tuscany for about seven years. And, um, and then in Australia... 
um, uh, always always in the wine industry. I've been doing harvests and uh, working in vineyards in the winery for oh now 23 years. So okay. showing my age. Where in Australia did you start off? I your went. Wine I lived in Adelaide, and so I went to Roseworthy College at the time mm. and the University of Adelaide. And uh, I was a bit of a geek, so I actually did quite a lot of research <laughs> uh, with the Australian Wine Research Institute. And I worked eight years at Petaluma in the Adelaide okay. Hills. Mm. So I did everything there from in the laboratory to in the, a little bit in the vineyards, but at that stage it was very much winemaking mm. and in the cellar. The two were quite separated in the Australian industry uh, in the 90s. This is in okay. the 90s. So. And, and what, what made you... Uh, leave Australia and travel to, to Italy and I mean I think us Australians we always love to travel so you know I had the opportunity whilst working at Petaluma as soon as I finished my studies uh, in enology and viticulture to do harvest uh, you know initially in Burgundy um, I spent some time in Oregon um, I came to Italy um, initially just to sort of see the classic regions spent some time in Tuscany Piedmonte and uh, in France the same I spent about a month travelling around France um, and I loved it So um, when I could, um, you know, I ch chose to, to leave Australia and start to do harvest in the Southern Hemisphere and then in the Northern Hemisphere. So um, from Argentina, I then go to, to the France and then I went to uh, New Zealand and then I went to uh, the north of Italy. So I traveled backwards and forths. And, uh, so it's nice yeah. to be at one place right now. Yeah, but you know, this is when you're, you know, late 20s and, you know, you're single, life's good. It's, it, no, it's just fabulous. And the wine industry is, you know, amazing. Yeah. Cool. So you're based in Etna now? Yes. So can you just describe a little bit for our listeners what mm -hmm. kind of place Etna is? Could we just start with maybe? why did you end up uh, in Sicily? Okay. Yep. I mean, why did you sort of, yeah. Why did I end up in Sicily? There? When I was um, working in Tuscany, uh, I worked with my colleague uh, who was from Palermo. So I started to go on holiday with her down to Sicily and I just loved it. And it felt, being Australian, I felt a lot of similarities between Australia with an island, the landscape, the sea, the, the people. It was very open, very different from my experience in Tuscany. And um, then I had some amazing bottles of wine from Etna. Mm -hmm. And uh, Eric is a wine importer in the UK. So initially we went there on to actually Etna on holiday uh, for me, but for him to look for some wines. And, you know, it was just extraordinary. Just such dynamic landscape, uh, the volcano, these old vineyards, and I said I need to come to Sicily. I need to leave Tuscany and hmm. and and not just Sicily, Etna mm. specifically. Yeah. Um, okay. It took me a few years. I was working in South Africa um, before uh, you know I looked looked for some work, but I wasn't quite ready to do my own project on Etna. Um, I realized it's a very complex volcano, and so I wanted to work for someone as a as an enologist. Um, so that took me a few years to find that, that position and uh, uh, then I was fortunate. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> same question. Uh, how, how would you describe Etna? You described a little bit now with the volcanic landscape, yes. etc. But what makes Etna um, special if you compare with other parts of Sicily? Um, yes, because when people sort of say, oh, you make wines in Sicily, and, you know, me, I'm not local, but if you're from Etna, you say, no, 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 I make wines from Etna. Mm -hmm. they, they make a big differentiation between, you know, Sicily and Etna. I mean, Etna is a, a world to its own. Um, one, the, just the energy of the volcano, the, um, the climate is very extreme, um, the soils are amazing, um, you know, every time you drive, it's, uh, you know, such a contrast between seeing the sea, seeing the, the, other, the mountains, the other side, which are very beautiful, and then, you know, these black, 
lava and you know these lava flows that are still very evident yeah. hundreds years later and then these tiny little vineyards you know on these terraces mm. so many abandoned um, and then the wildlife is extraordinary mm-hmm. um, you know all the flowers that are there different times of the year um, it's really dramatic we need to go soon yeah, yeah definitely yeah. every Please. time we try the wines from Ethna it's like we need to go <laughs> yeah, yeah um, definitely need to go I've been there once I told you about it yes. but, but just on vacation so I we need to go to wine trip and yeah. Sicily is amazing wine. I mean Sicily is very big and each region is very different you know the food that we eat is different from what you eat down uh, in Pacino mm. it's different from what you eat in Vittoria it's very different from what you eat in Trapani I mean you know there's so many influences on the island from all the invasions and you know that for me that's really fascinating I wasn't expecting yeah. that diversity in how the people look but um, the architecture um, but definitely reflected in the cuisine yeah So when you came to Etna, you started to look for vineyards. Mm-hmm. Uh, how was that process? Is it easy to find? Because you have some old vineyards. Right? Yes, yes. When I came to Etna, I was working for Andrea Franchetti at Passo Picciaro. Mm-hmm. And um, initially, I just wanted, because I wasn't sure whether Etna was the place for, for Eric and I, or we weren't sure to, to make wine. So, you know, the first few years were just spent with Andrea, who's a very generous um, uh, person and, you know, i spent not a lot of time. I spent time in the cellar, but I wanted to discover all the different Contrada, all the different vineyards. Mm. And um, he has some amazing uh, vineyards because he was one of the first to invest yeah. into Etna and to bottle wine. Um, so it took a few years to find the, the vineyard that we you know, first purchased in 2010. Um, is it easy? Um, It's not easy. It's quite complicated because one, often it's difficult to find who owns the vineyard mm-hmm. because a lot of people, particularly on, on Etna, are migrated either to the States or to Australia after the Second World War. So maybe, uh, and the vineyard's often been subdivided and in very you know, different names. Um, so that can be complicated. And now it's also very expensive. Mm-hmm. So you might find this amazing piece, but you know people want, instead of once... 15 years ago, 5,000 euro, it's now 100,000 wow. euro. Okay. Mm. So it's not like, you know, we're, we're not rich people. It's not like we've got, you know, oh, wow, let's go and buy this hectare. It's kind of like we drive around all the time looking for tiny little plots and then we try and work out, okay, you know, how much money do we think we need and, yeah. you know, can we find the owner? But tell us about the estate then. I mean, how the size of it and, and, and what varieties you have and what kind of soil okay. you have on your, on, your, on the estate. Well, we are increasing. So since 2010, now we own nearly six hectares. Um, and that's divided between, uh, I need to count actually, at least six different properties. Sometimes the property is just a third of a hectare. And then last year we bought two beautiful properties. One's just under a hectare um, that's planted Um, and with over 120 olive trees mm-hmm. that are over 100 years old. So we make some olive oil now by default, mm. but it's, <laughs> that's a different world, but uh, that's exciting. And then um, there's another property um, very high up above the 1,000-meter road that we are starting to plant. Um, and so, yeah, altogether six hectares. Six, six, six hectares. And, and what, um, what, what grape variety? The grape variety, um, we only work, we we've chosen to buy old vineyards, except these two plots of land, um, is Nerello Mascalesi, uh, principally. And then in the old vineyards, because some of the vineyards have 80 to 100 years old, um, there's a little bit of Nerello Capuccio and Alicante. Mm-hmm. And Alicante is Coronash, but locally they refer to it as Alicante. And then there's a sprinkling of white in 
these old vineyards. So things like Catarato, Minella, um, there's a big bunch of uh, white grapes they call Uva Francesi, to be mm-hmm. a little bit yeah. ruder. And, um, and there's a tiny bit of Caricante mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. but, um, and Caricanico. Caricanico. So a little, yeah, yeah. Caricanico. Sort of a Yeah, so we, it depends on the wines, but the further, the higher you go, and it depends exactly on the, the Contrada, the lava flow that you are, you know, the, the blend that people planted. Um, you know, one area is a little bit more Grenache or Alicante, another little area is a little bit more white in the vineyard. That's cool. Mm. Um, but, you know, literally every vineyard is a base of 85% Nerello Mascalesi. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would you say, um, uh, what, what, what is your sort of winemaking philosophy? What, what, what kinds of wines do you want to do? Um, I mean, we, we're very uh, organic in how we've grown. and We're very sort of uh, organic and uh, in the wines that um, uh, we make. Um, I mean, we didn't set out with a strict idea, Eric and I, let's make this style of wine, do this type of vinification in this type of vessel. It kind of, we're constantly sort of changing and evolving depending on what we're drinking, depending on what the vineyards are giving us. Um, The more we understand the vineyards, uh, we understand what manipulation we should do or we shouldn't. Uh, Very hands-off. We do, I mean, we're quite lazy in the cellar. We try to do minimal (laughs) amount of work. Um, And we do a lot of work in the vineyard. Um, So we're after something that is expressive of the terroir, Mm. um, something that uh, has a purity of fruit, um, a wine that generally has a nice tension and acidity. And the soils of Etna always give this crazy minerality and salinity if you allow it. So we try not, uh, we don't use new oak, we don't use small oak, um, we don't want to cover it you know, any of this, this beautiful fruit. And Nerello Mascalesi is a very versatile grape that you can make like a light fruity red. Um, you can make something a little bit more rustic. Or, you know, you really can work it and do a lot of remontage and delastage. And you can make a dark brooding red if you mm. want to and a lot of alcohol. So we play around depending on the vineyard. And, uh, but now I think, you know, we make six different reds and we've in the past... Six years worked out what each of those wines, you know, are, you know, from the vineyard. And, um, but that said, who knows next year, we might do something (laughs) different. But while you're talking about it, um, I mean, the first vintage, how was that? Were you you happy with it from the start? Or, or, I mean, could you describe the the, the evolution of the... Yeah, that we actually made for Vino Diana um, was just 600 bottles made in a plastic tub. Um, from I bought grapes from I was working for Andrea Franchetti at the time and I bought grapes from one of the cellar hands from his father's property and from this other old gentleman that Andrea was buying part of the grapes from the vineyard and about to purchase the vineyard and I was helping him with, with the vineyard work and so I bought a percentage and we um, decided at that stage I was drinking a lot of wines from the Loire and from, from Burgundy and from the Jura I'd seen a lot of whole bunch vinification mm. So we decided to throw a 100% whole bunch into this plastic tub called a Mastalone. And everyone thought I was mad. Um, I mean, traditionally, that's how Narello was worked. But no, you know, people were, everyone know you have to destem it, you have to extract it. And um, I was training that with Andrea's wines, but our wines, we decided, no, 100% whole bunch. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to focus on this Mastaloni. <laughs> so every morning I would jump in, a quick foot pigeage. Every evening when I left or I came to do some fermentation, I'd do a quick pigeage. 
and after about three weeks, I sort of thought, okay, let's press this. So, yeah, it was kind of, let's see what happens. And um, we went half the wine. We didn't know whether to add sulfur or not. So I added a small amount to half the wine, 300 bottles, which we bottled by hand. And the other half, we didn't add sulfur. And, um, you know, at one stage I thought, I'm not even sure we're going to bottle this wine. Okay. Uh, I mean, it was quite, quite wild. There was quite yeah. a high VA. Sure. It was, um, you know, kind of left to its own devices. And it amazes me. I only sold it in Italy. It amazes me the number of people that still today call me or write me an email. Wow, I had a, I had a bottle of your 2008, <laughs> your first wine. It's delicious. I mean, it's so... Well, it, something cool. worked. But, yeah, cool. uh, <laughs> well. So we tried some of your wines yesterday, and mm-hmm. you have one, the Palmento, yes. the, the, the brighter, lighter red yes. wine. And that was an ancient method, the Palmento. Yes, the Palmento is tradi- the traditional wine building, um, a beautiful sort of structure in lava stone that has sort of a series inside of, of you know, making the wine in a top sort of uh, uh, like a lager. Um, whole bunches of grapes foot trodden by the family and then you have a, two taps and the, the must you know goes down by gravity to a little cement vat underneath um, and then originally there used to be a beautiful massive piece of wood and mm. a press inside so this building the Palmento exists for over 300 years and just on Etna down in the south in Paquito and I've been told there are some around Napoli okay. really? um, but it's very common I mean sort of not every family, but it was a very common thing. It was how it was where the wine was made. There was yeah. no such thing as a winery. That was the the, the winery. Yeah. Everything, all the grapes were taken there. Um, when we bought the property, we didn't the ruin. The Palmento itself was a ruin. The walls were still there, but there was no roof. It was you know part of the the vinification area was was intact. Um, and then the rest we actually restored how it was mm-hmm. um, and then the vineyards that um, uh, the grapes that you know once would have been fermented in the vineyards had some of them had been abandoned some of them houses had been planted so um, oh, houses had been planted houses had been built on the vineyards <laughs> so no one had used it for about 60 years okay. but travelling around I saw other people making wines in their family palmento yeah. So it's a lovely story. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, but you also told us that that um, there were some EU regulations that made you you have to have to rebuild it in, inside as unfortunately, well. Unfortunately, you're still use, yeah, you're still it. not meant to make wines legally in the Palmento because uh, the grapes are going on raw lava stone, mm. and the EU has decided that's not uh, that's not safe for our health, and you should either line it with cement or glass or resin. Um, but I believe this will change. Yeah. Um, more people are putting money in because it's quite a big job to restore the Palmento. But it's organic material. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. It's th- there's absolutely no reason why not. Mm. So, you know, people are starting to, to use it and put their wines in bottle. Uh, initially, we were under the radar, but now they know we, we bottle <laughs> and we make this wine in the Palmento. So we just had to do a few modifications, a little bit of stainless steel, a lid, yeah. and mm. we, we know when they're going to come and visit. They're quite generous, the authorities at time to let you know in advance so you make sure you're not fermenting the grapes (laughs) in that part of the palmento that's cool and the wine itself was also very interesting since it was uh, sort of a mix between white and red uh, varieties yes yes it's a field blend of the grapes from from around uh, the the house so we're about 700 meters and uh, the vineyards there traditionally are planted with you know sometimes as much as six seven percent white 
So you pick everything and you throw it into the palmento and then just a very short maceration, uh, two, three days. Um, depending, if the fermentation hasn't started, we might leave it three days, four days, um, a little bit longer than um, other people. Uh, but the idea is to make a wine that's quite light in colour. Um, you then, once it's been pressed, ferment it in an old wooden foudre. Mm. And, um, you know, it's meant to be drunk within the year. It's yeah. meant to be a vino da contadino, a, a peasant farmer's wine, it's quite very light. Refreshing uh, and, uh, yeah, it must be like a darker rosé almost. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, yeah, great. Uh, I loved it. Mm. It should be drunk. Sort of quite cool. On a, yes, on a, on a, absolutely. We, you know, often yeah. half an hour in the bottle or you know in the fridge before. Yeah. And uh, um, last night we drank a magnum of it on the table, and you know it's, okay. it's a glue glue wine. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's it's fun. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash acast. And you also make, just to move on to another um, ancient method, because mm -hmm. you make some wines in amphora mm -hmm. as well. Um, that's also very interesting because it's starting to be very popular. Yes. Um, yeah, yes. Trendy, yeah. Could you just explain, because I, I can imagine that not a lot of people uh, have tried wines that are aged in amphora. What happens with the wines? Okay, so we make wines um, in clay vessels that come from Georgia um, called Quaveri. So they're like an amphora in regards that they're, they're made of clay, but they're different in shape. Um, the Quaveri have a much sort of rounded belly and come down to a point, uh, which is quite important. And you have to bury them in the ground, the Quaveri. They won't stand upright. Whereabouts an amphora, you can have above ground or underground. Mm. Um, you know, that, that's, that's someone's choice. Um, so in Georgia, we've seen, you know, they're buried underground. And then you may have a smaller vessel, an amphora, that you take the wine to the table. In. Okay. So for in Georgia, there's a very distinct, for them, the amphora is, is, you know, the wine to the table to serve with, and the quaveri is what you've vinifying in. Okay, cool. Mm. Um, Did you say it was cement? 
It's a clay. Clay. So it's clay that's come from. There's only a few quavery makers left, and um, we work with someone called Zaliko that um, has sourced the clay high up in the Caucasian mountains, and has this. Uh, you know, he's been making these quavery in his family for generations. He was nearly going out of business, and so luckily he's a very busy man now <laughs> because you know there's a few wonderful people like John Wooderman that have really been spreading the word of Georgian wines and uh, the quavery as this wonderful neutral vessel but um, that gives the wine a lot of lovely tension and energy back to your question um, and so you know uh, Zaliko is a very busy man he's got orders now uh, for years because he can only make a certain number of quaveries depending on uh, the humidity okay. it takes at least a week to fire the, them he has to build an oven with bricks and leave them in there so you know it's not like he can produce thousands each year no. no and it's him and his sons um, mm-hmm. but they're made by hand you know actually sort of you know the clay goes around and around and around and builds it up to a certain height then gets on a ladder to build them even bigger but it's, it's quite extraordinary how many liters do they the uh, first feel. one, the biggest we have is 2,000 litres. Yeah. The smallest, we, we always argue, we're not 100% sure because we don't have any way to measure it, but we think it's about 700 litres. Okay. okay. So quite huge. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you need a certain volume of grapes and often you ferment the grapes um, uh, because we destem the grapes but leave them on the skins for, um, you know, different periods of time. Um, in the bigger quaveries, and then, you know, once you've pressed them, you've got less new wine and that goes to the smaller quavery for okay. six months, okay. a year. So you need a series of quavery to really make the wine only in clay. Okay. Um, but take us through the process a little bit more in detail then. You harvest and then mm-hmm. you, you put them straight into the, the bigger quavery. Yes, so everything's hand harvested. We have to work all the vineyards by hand. There's no chance to use a tractor because they're all terraces mm-hmm. and uh, quite small terraces. So the cassettes, we do the sorting in the vineyard. Um, if there's anything moldy or if hail is hit a vineyard, which can happen quite often on Etna and then we take the the grapes to the the winery and uh, we de-stem by hand Mm. which sounds a very slow process but no actually you know with this piece of wood this wooden box we've had made um, the grapes are kind of massaged over this piece of wood with holes in and they drop into generally we uh, don't de-stem directly into the quavery uh, because the mouth is quite small so we de-stem into a big plastic tub and then by bucket, we fill the quavery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we fill it um, not 100% full because you've got to have some room for the, for the heat and for the, for the fermentation to, to move. Um, and the fermentation is wonderful. The quavery gives the chance for the wine to have uh, a good um, uh, uh, temperature regulation. Um, it seems to always have a, a good chance to combine the, the sugars it's converting to alcohol in with the flavors, in with the tannins. Uh, we choose not to do any movement, any pigeage or remontage. We just, just leave, it leave there. the grapes yeah. there. Okay. Um, for how long? Uh, the limit, the smallest amount of time we've done about for the fair red wines is about two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. The longest we've done is six months. Okay. Um, okay. Traditionally, the quavery in Georgia, the maceration, the long maceration is with white. Um, we don't have a lot of white grapes, and originally we had the big 2,000 litre quavery. So we decided let's do it with red, yeah. and that was definitely my husband's idea. Eric Heath said, you know, let's let's do it with one of the few. Let's uh, to do a long maceration with red in clay. Um, and we love the results. Um, we thought it gave the wine a tension, a purity, very expressive of the vineyard, mm. um, even in a hot, hot year. Uh, I mean. But then you, I mean, the first 
quavery. Then you open it and you, you you remove the skins and move it to to a smaller one, or do, do the skins uh, go into the, to the next one as well? No, what we do is after we've decided we've extracted enough tannin and the wine has sort of a, a balance to it, um, uh, you know, we, we've after excuse me after the fermentation is finished, we close the quavery mm. completely. So we put a big lava stone that we've had made this lid and we seal it, and then we can taste it from time to time. Um, but when we decide it's reached the the, the extraction that we want, um, initially by a scoop and then by a bucket, we empty the quavery into the press. We physically have to get into the quavery um, because you know it's, oh, it's yeah. very far down. We could use a pump, but we try not to to use pumps at that that stage. Um, uh, you know, we're wanting to do everything by hand rather than any mechanical um, chance to turn the grapes into a mush. Um, and uh, then we press the wines and the new wine goes back into a smaller quavery, so without the skins. Oh, right. yeah. Um, okay. mm-hmm. And there, it's important, the wine is quite turbid. It's mm-hmm. important that the wine spends at least another minimum four or five months, sometimes a year, sometimes now even a couple of years, uh, to settle out. Yeah. So, you know, we're not ending up with, you know, a wine that's completely turbid in bottle. No. Um, and, and, and why did you decide to, to use this method from, 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 from starters? I mean, it was, the, the first was a gift. Okay, the first mm. was a gift. And Eric was in, uh, my husband was in uh, Georgia uh, looking for some Georgian wines to import into the UK. He went to a beautiful monastery and uh, um, was talking with uh, um, the monks there and the bishop there and saying, you know, they the Georgians are very much, you know, what's happening with the family? And he said, oh, you know, my wife and I, we've started this small project on Etna and working with old vines. And um, so during an evening, they decided to give us a gift of two quaveri. Yes, so no, it wasn't something, you know, we, we sought and thought, let's make wine in Quavery, and we weren't sure whether it would work with Narello Moscalesi, but um, after the 2012 harvest, we then went back to Georgia ourselves and sought, you know, who's the best Quavery maker, and it took several years to receive all the Quaveries we now have. How many do you have in total? We have nine. Nine, okay. Yeah. yeah. If you compare with... Oak, it adds a lot of flavors to, or they can add a lot of flavor to the wine. Yes. Say the Quavery has any particular flavors that it adds to wine, except for, you know, the tension. And yes, hopefully there is no flavor. Um, well, I don't think there's any flavor. Some people, you know, now are starting to say, oh, I can tell that's made in Quavery. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the end, it um, is lined with beeswax and it's meant to be a neutral vessel. Yeah. The key thing is it's buried underground. And so I think for temperature exchange, it's very good. Um, but it's a kind of, it's a closed system. So whereabouts wood, it breathes and there's, you know, it's porous and it's, yeah. you know, with the air and there's sort of an exchange with the oxygen. Um, even if it's an old barrel, that can still happen. Yeah. Whereabouts the quavery being underground and sort of the shape, the whole thing doesn't have that chance. No. Um, and yes, there's a different texture to the wines because mm. of the quavery. And I think that's very much to do with the shape of the quavery. Okay. The way the wine moves in the quavery is okay. is, uh, yeah. is different to wood, is different to um, some of the ceramic and uh, clay eggs that are out there. Um, people say it moves in more of a vortex shape uh-huh. um, and, you know, it has a different effect depending on, um, uh, you know, what's happening with the planets and um, the sun and uh, the star constellations. It's a whole science. Exactly. It's all science, yeah. 
But is, have you only tried Nerello um, Masolese, or do you have tried? Do you have you done it with the other grape varieties as well? Um, the vineyards, when we pick them, uh, we pick the vineyards as as a as vineyard. A okay, so, so there's always yeah. a little bit of Capuccio okay. and a little bit of Alicante, mm -hmm. and um, we it doesn't the Quavery wines we haven't done with our lower vineyards at 700 meters that are generally more fertile, producing bigger volumes. Mm -hmm. We select it needs to have a certain acidity and attention naturally in the grapes. So we've worked out. You know, around for us personally, around about 900 meters, the vineyards we have 900 meters to 1,000 meters, mm. have a tannin material and naturally a finesse in the grapes that can enable us to do a long maceration. Mm. Because if the grapes originally don't, don't have all of that material, there's no point macerating. That's You're not right. going to get anything. No. Um, so um, for us, it's no, not really a grape variety. Um, thing uh, we we pick the vineyard as a, yeah, as a okay, whole. Yeah, okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. And white, we're yet to do an experiment only because we've only just received the smaller quaveries and we have a very small quantity of white. So we ferment that in stainless steel and a beautiful wooden foudre mm. that we have. Um, whether we do a white fermentation, I would like to. Eric's not quite so convinced. Um, what? And I don't know whether it will work that well with our grapes. Okay. Um, we're not sure, but if you don't do, do the experiment, you, you never know. Try. So, <laughs> so hopefully soon, yes, <laughs> I'll get a chance to do that. Yeah. So, what's the future for Vino de Anna? Do you have any? Uh, hopefully, long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're at the start of our journey, yeah. and um, the fact that uh, you know we we would like to stay probably almost at the size we are now. Yeah. Um, we're making around about forty thousand bottles. Um, we've grown exponentially quickly but we've realized that you know it's meant to be Eric and I uh, you know pruning and in the winery and uh, then of course we have to to sell and market our wines uh, we're very lucky we have uh, three young guys that live locally mm -hmm. that are very much part of Vino Diana and they're like our older sons okay. um, mm -hmm. our, our actual sons are you know five and uh, seven and so we hope for them they love being part of it they think they're going to you know take over the domain they already have their vineyards named <laughs> after them okay. Uh, they're already quite, you know, presenting the wines and talking about it. So hopefully, but whether one ends up being, you know, uh, surfing in Bali and the other, you know, into fashion, who knows? But uh, hopefully, I, I believe, you know, Diana, you know, it's, it's, they, there's someone one day that says, ah, that's my grandma and grandpa's uh, yeah. uh, domain that they started. What, what, what are your biggest markets right now? Is it mainly... It, Sicily itself, or is it uh, other parts of, of the world? No, actually, quite interesting. We have, have we're only really just starting to sell our wine locally. Mm -hmm. It's quite different from other wines made on Etna. And uh, to be honest, in the beginning, it was not well received by people. They didn't, you know, what you, the Palmento, yes, but some of the other wines uh, were, um, I suppose, lighter than they're expecting, higher in acidity. Mm. Um, they don't have a, a very high VA, but for some people, yes, they're a little bit wild. Um, so straight away, um, uh, you know, we work very well in the States and all over the States with a fantastic importer called Indie Wineries, mm -hmm. um, Japan from the very beginning. Cool. Um, and a little guy in Belgium uh, were probably the three markets we started with. Now definitely Sweden um, is very important with wine trade. Um, but we, we have the fortune to sell our wines uh, in 16 different countries now. Okay, purely, quite a lot. Purely through contacts. Yeah. yeah, for the amount of wine we make is, is yeah. yeah, and purely... 
we want to travel, we want to, you know, to hang out with people in different countries. So um, that's been one of the choice. Instead of just focusing on a few markets, we decide, okay, well, you know, it'd be quite nice to get to know uh, this country, those mm. people uh, are quite cool. Let's, you know, see if we can sell some wine and hang out. So <laughs> it's the right way to go. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and if we talk... Um, a little bit, a little bit more general about Sicily and Etna. What, what do you, what do you say? What is happening in Sicily and Etna right now? What, what, are, what are the main movements according to you? Okay, well, I think Sicily. Um, you know, for for a long time, it was just a huge quantity of wine was made, but by people like Planeta, but on the other side of uh, the island. Um, and sort of so in the southeast and around Trapani, and you know Sicily was well known on the international markets for Merlot, Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, sort of varietals mm. at uh, a low price point, but you know fresh and fruity. Um, Etna, 20 years ago, there weren't even five people that put their wines in bottle. Everything was sold as bulk. Um, and, you know, it was either sold in Calabria to, to beef up, you know, the wines in Calabria or in the north of Italy. It even came to France. Now there's over a hundred different people putting wine in bottle. So it's, you know, poor choice of words, but it's kind of been an explosion in the market just even in the past 15 years. So Etna seems to be, you know, everyone wants to have Etna on their wine list mm. wherever you go. That's not to say it's all great wine and great winemaking. Um, I think... You know, people on Etna have a long way to, uh, and this is my personal opinion, uh, you know, to understand the vineyards, to understand the grape variety, and hopefully um, make uh, farm more organically rather than use chemicals, uh, let the wine ferment naturally instead of adding yeast and uh, sort of all the other tricks of the trade that are mm -hmm. out there. Um, so, Yeah, it's it's interesting the different expressions of wines that that are there. Um, but I think it, it has there's room for growth and there's room for some more, you know, uh, a winemaking family of people to, yeah. to come together rather than people just uh, making their wines in someone else's winery, putting a label on it and then you know selling it. Mm. Um, it'd be mm. nice for there to be some more proper vignons, yeah. you know, vignon that actually has the vineyards, owns the vineyards, you know, farms it, and then makes the wine in their tiny little cellar. Um, yeah, that's that's very cool. The, I like that idea too. It's it's nice. When it's well, it exists in many other regions, and particularly yeah. in France, this this vignon idea. It's you know this uh, compared to um, you know I've got some money and as a hobby yeah. farm, you know, a hobby on my you know sides, you know, let's get someone to to make a wine. So you know, I can say I I, I do this. Um, Um, There's much more pride in yes. that as well. Too, yes, 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 I think so. And, and I think the wines are more expressive. You know, there's less touch of a hand of a winemaker. There's more expression of that vineyard mm. and the place. Um, so I think, you know, that it'll be interesting to see where these, these producers and where all these labels go. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting time now because you can get a lot of really high quality wines from Sicily and in comparison with other places of the world for not that much money as well yeah. um, being said and Great that's, value. Um, that's nice for the, re the restaurants as Definitely. well to, to play with and work with and yes yeah. but I think the wines are very expensive from Etna as well it's expensive farming you know particularly mm. if you've taken on old vines that have to be farmed by hand sure. uh, or these terraces so you know um, the equivalent of what you can get from the Loire for you know 
two, three, sure. four euros ex seller. It's impossible to do that on Aetna. You have to start, you know, basically the wines for a minimum of what your production costs are six, seven euro. Mm. So then, you know, it makes sense that for people to, if they're living off making the wine, they have to come out with, you know, minimum from the seller wines at starting at 10, 10 yeah. going up mm. to 15. And, you know, that's crazy when you go to somewhere like New York and you suddenly see bottles of wine, you know, for hundreds of US dollars. Mm. Um, mm. Next to something from France, which I think is really delicious and has, you know, generations of, yeah. you know, uh, hi- history, and it's for a fifth of the price. Yeah, um, yeah. I just realised because we now we have three bottles in front of us. So we're going to put up a picture on the Acast app, of course. We've talked about the Palamento and the Cuevri, and we, yes. we also have the uh, Vino di Anna, Vino Rosso. Yes. Well, can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so we have two Vino di Anna, uh, Vino di Anna Rosso. We have one that's actually a different label to that, which um, is 100% whole bunch and a vinification in wood for six weeks. We don't make that every year. It seems every this one vineyard only every three or four years. The bunches are perfect, and we can do that long whole bunch vinification. Mm. The Judicans that we have, um, Judicans stands for Thursday the 15th, um, which is meant to be Thursday the 15th of October. Normally, that's the date we harvest this one vineyard. Okay. Uh, it was in 2009. Um, and Eric, being French, we always had just referred to that on our sample bottle, mm. Julie Cairns, mm. to remember what the cuvee was. And um, so this comes from one particular vineyard at Monte La Guardia, um, which is a little bit higher than where the estate is, um, just over 800 meters. Um, it's about, I'd say, 90% Norello Mascalesi. Um, maybe the other 10, most of it's Nerello Capuccio. And we ferment that wine always in a wooden fermenter that is open. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big fermenter, 30 hectolitres. And there's about 20-30% whole bunch. Okay. And the rest is stem by hand. And so we want a little bit of pristine fruit, a little bit of lift from the whole bunch. Um, it's darker in colour than the Palmento, a bit more structured, a bit more acidity. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that wine spends a week in the wooden fermenter we foot plunge it once or twice just to release some some juice and then press it and it finishes fermentation in stainless steel mm? so okay so since 2009 we've been making the the Jody cans cool cool so is it a wine that you think is supposedly the palmento is supposed to dr- uh, drink quite young yes and uh, the the cans is more like to put in a cellar or no actually at the Palmento I think you know within the within the year you know it's generally that that's meant to be I mean that said you know you can drink drink it sort of two years even sure. three years when we're not quite too sure it's always fascinating to see how they're evolving the Jody Cannes a little bit more as it's got a bit more tannin and um, often the first sort of six months it's quite fruity um, but uh, quite quite austere in the palate. So yes, you're right. After a year, I think now it's it's really uh, that's the two fifteen in front of us, and I think it's it's its moment is now. Yeah. Okay. Whereabouts the quavery wine? Um, it's very much got its own life and energy and so it has moments where it's very closed um, then after a while it can become quite floral um, then it can come, become sort of you know quite uh, savoury and characteristic as it ages um, so definitely that needs more time yeah. um, and you know the idea is to have, make also wines that are very good with food um, the palmento is fun just to have a glass if you're having, you know, a salad or sitting outside. Um, whereabouts, definitely the quavery and the other quavery wines we make from individual vineyards. Um, you know, they're much more, you know, structured and uh, more complex in layers. So great food, great food wines. 
Well, Anna, thanks a lot for, for taking the time talking to us and our listeners. And um, I think you have inspired many people to, yeah, <laughs> to travel yeah. to Etna. Yeah. Oh, fabulous. I I'm always so promoting holidays to Etna. Come and <laughs> see us. So yeah. thank you both very much. It's <laughs> well, been lovely you. to meet you. And lovely to meet you. And to lovely to taste your so wines as well. So. I wait for you on Etna. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll At the moment, come. if you come, bring skis. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of snow. We're used to that. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. Anna. Thanks. Nice to meet you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 